Hello and welcome once again to the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the week's TV news stories brought to you by the Broadcast Editorial Team. I'm Broadcast Insight Editor Jesse Whittock and this week I'll be joined by John Elms, Broadcast International Guru. Banerjee's takeover of Endemol Shine Group has completed this morning, creating the biggest indie company in the world, and we'll discuss the implications for the production community. Meanwhile, the organisers behind international TV conference MIPCOM came out fighting. Coronavirus? What coronavirus? We'll be discussing those developments and have a wander through our mind palaces in what we've been watching on today's broadcast news wrap. So, breaking news this morning... Uh, as we were about to begin recording the pod, uh, press release came through to confirm that Banerjee's takeover of the Endemol Shine Group uh, has completed. John, uh, probably about the biggest merger that we could uh, expect in in our sector. Uh, what are your initial reactions? My 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 thoughts are well. This is a very protracted uh, takeover. You know, it was first announced back in October last year. Um, Banerjee completed, uh, secured the financing for this, for the deal uh, back in back in February with um, what they called really positive investor interest in the, in the deal, and um, were just waiting for a number of regulatory hurdles to to clear um, before they before they completed. And and on that, you know, there's been a lot of. Uh, comments about whether or whether it was going to happen and whether they might fall foul, but they've always been confident it was going to happen. So, you know, my my initial reaction when they got the final clearance was thing that is expected to happen is happening. So, um, you know, it's a it's a it's a good deal for Banerjee. They they've long sought Endemol Shine. Um, you know, long courted it. It's a it's a it's a storied history, and uh, they'll be happy to have got it over the line now. So the the deal uh, we're estimating its uh, value is around one point seven billion uh, pounds. In fact, about two point two billion dollars. Um, it's a very complicated uh, ownership structure, uh, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. Looking at about around two hundred production companies, we think uh, in that group, including the likes of Endemol Shines, Initial, uh, Remarkable, Tiger Aspects whole number of others from the Banerjee side you've got companies like RDF Media so lots of companies with big brands um, we're talking about 88,000 hours of assets according to the press release yeah. um, we've done a bit of work on that you and I John um, mm. a few months back and, and clearly that catalogue is going to be a tricky thing to uh, to pull together and Kathy Payne once of Endemol Shine uh, is now uh, in charge of Banerjee rights and will have the job of of pulling those things together. And that's meaning programs like Big Brother, Peaky Blinders, Black Mirror, MasterChef, Wallander, The Kardashians, The Wall, Temptation Island, all in one catalogue. Loads of other formats, um, lots of drama from the Endemol side. Um, yeah, let, let's dig into the programming a little mm. bit here, John. For Banerjee, the, uh, the sense that I've always got from them is that the deal, whilst there are various reasons that Stefan Corby, the owner of, of Banerjee, has been interested and has desired to own Endemol Shine. Sort of strategically, one of the big things for Banerjee is they haven't ever really had a huge scripted division. They've, they've you know, created several scripted shows like Versailles, Wallander, 
the uh, the in-betweeners, which um, they've only recently taken the rights back to. But effectively, the Endemol Shine um, scripted proposition shows like Peaky Blinders, uh, Black Mirror is uh, is really a kind of the the sort of golden egg, really, isn't it for for Banerjee? It kind of massively expands their capabilities on that side. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, like you 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 mentioned, Jesse, that it brings together two hundred. 200 entities uh it's important to say this across 22 countries so it's it's, it's truly a, a global company i mean the the the, the two set constituent entities were were big in themselves you know they have presence all over the world but now they've combined they've they've really ramped up and i think it's it's important to say that uh reiterate that point that you made oh, this deal brings together i think it's roughly around 30 labels in the uk um, alone, and a lot of those those scripted entities are from the Endemol Shrine side. You're, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, I think I think scripted, given given the precedence that scripted has in the in the industry, anyway. You know, we're we're constantly talking about being in the golden age of drama, and and you know, everyone wants premium scripted series on in their catalogs, on their you know, and brands on their slate. Um, it's definitely been a an important kind of strategy for um, Banerjee's chief executive and now combined chief executive, Marco Bassetti. I recall when I was in, I think it was, I think it was MIT TV last year, my, my first MIT TV uh, MIP event for broadcast. And um, Marco Bassetti and Stefan Corby gave a, a keynote at, at MIT TV. And he said that the English language market, particularly in drama, was very attractive. Um, obviously that's, you know, Banerjee has lots of um, foreign language drama through its Scandinavian labels. If I just think about Yellowbird, that's got some great scripted properties. Um, but the, obviously the English language market is important and Peaky Blinders is a, a fantastic exemplar of a really popular English language drama show, which has got a big following. And, and he was, Bassetti was talking about how going into the UK as one of a number of territories, I, I should caveat, but going into the UK potentially looking for scripted opportunities was a big driver for him. It was definitely, it's definitely something that's been clearly on the, on the minds of the managers. And now, you know, taking ownership of, of some really quite premium scripted labels and scripted brands, they've got that capacity already. And who knows, maybe this will, this will then um, lead to a, a, you know, a boost to those labels in the country um, as, as Bassetti looks to, kind of follow through with that strategy of ramping up the scripted and managing. Well, uh, Corby and Bassetti's um, chase and, and desire to mm-hmm. buy Endemol uh, has, is something that, that people uh, in the, the, the UK and international communities have been aware of for a long time. Uh, just as a bit of a, uh, a history lesson, I'm going to put on my, my tweed jacket and go into the weeds. Um, mm-hmm. Corby was at one point the president of Endemol France, uh, and during the sort of mid 2000s uh, when Endemol well Endemol as it was then one of the various sort of complicated situations that it's been in over the years was 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 emerging um, the, the and Corby had looked to actually try and buy the group out at that point um, he was unsuccessful um, there were people like John DeMole uh, Telefonica involved at the time and uh, he, he wasn't able to do that and on the back of that um, sort of the the Banerjee group was born effectively he, he removed himself from the Endemol group and a couple of years later launched Banerjee 
over in Italy, the Zodiac Media Group had been created, or Zodiac Entertainment as it was at the time, um, by the Diagostini family. Um, and those two companies eventually merged, creating the, the Banerjee Group as we see it now. Um, and that was all about scale at that point in time. They were talking, I interviewed Bassetti probably, that, when, did, when did that deal happen? Six years ago, I think. And even before then, he was talking about the need for Banerjee to be a consolidator and not to be consolidated, even at that point. And they've really stuck to that strategy um, mm. ever since. And it's clear that they've always wanted, and Bassetti also being an Endemol, ex-Endemol exec, he was the president uh, there about eight years ago um, and was the head of Endemol Italy. Um, so both guys have a, a real um, affiliation with the Endemol Shine group. Um, and clearly wanted to get those two assets together. So when people were talking about the debt pile at Endemol, and when people were talking about whether such a big group would necessarily work as a as a, as a concept and, and structurally, um, I don't think that Bassetti or Corby have ever really seen it that way. I think that they're just they'll be super happy this morning. They've got their hands on the asset. Uh, one thing we should add to the uh, structure of the new company is that, as John, you mentioned, Bassetti will be the sort of group CEO of the combined entity. That uh, inevitably means that Sophie Turner Lang, the Endemol Shine Group chief executive, is stepping down. According to the press release we have here, her final day is Friday, the 10th of July. So she's got a week. A week today, so she's um, she's got some time to uh, to clear out her stuff and and help the guys with a bit of transition uh, before they get going. But I, I imagine plans are already uh, underway to get those two companies together. So that's uh, it's a huge uh, change for the both UK and international markets, creating the biggest yeah, I mean, non-studio it, 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 company. Exactly. It's the biggest super indie. I mean, it brings together two super indies, which everyone just knows in the industry as Banerjee and Endemol, you know, big presence on the international market as individual entities and bringing together the sheer size of that catalogue. As you mentioned, Jesse, that we've long discussed, how does one manage that 88,000 hour catalogue? I'm sure, you know, that is um, that has been long, long discussed. And, you know, with Kathy Payne known through her in Endemol Shine days, obviously has great knowledge of that catalogue and she's been in post for about a month and a half now, I think, uh, at Banerjee. So she will have got her feet under the table and 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 has a lot of, you know, close people around her from the Banerjee side to, to steer. So I think it's got a good structure. It's clearly got a structure, a management structure that's um, that's been kind of readied uh, over while they're waiting for this to clear. I mean, you know, it's it's it might come as a surprise that Sophie Turner Lang only has a week, but uh, to to kind of finalise and leave. But then that would suggest that this has been in the planning for a while, and that you know all all ducks uh, duck eggs are in a row. It, it it is it is it is a major deal. I mean, the, the last big deal I think that we saw was the the Disney takeover of of 21st Century Fox, which closed officially last year. I mean, that that was a big deal. Um, and that was that was kind of taking over networks and stuff. This is in the in the production and distribution landscape. So for you know the, our day-to-day work a really, really, really big deal because it's all the companies that we we work with on a day-to-day basis are now part of 
one group. <laughs> well, well, that deal itself was was the reason why the Walt Disney Company had ownership of of Endemol Shine, or at least fifty percent of it, as it previously was owned by Rupert Murdoch's Fox Group. And uh, so, just we're going to go slightly into the ownership structure now of the new company. Mm. Um, so, um, stick your financial hats on. Um, so, effectively, Disney and Apollo global management which is a asset manager had uh, run the company sort of 50 50 joint venture partners um and it was always a sense that disney felt that the um the brands didn't quite fit together i remember a source years back when the deal was uh, first mooted that disney would take over fox uh, someone said to me uh, someone within the endemore group that there is no way that mickey mouse will ever sell big brother and um that's sort of proven to be the case. I think Disney have never seen Endemol Shine as a core asset and we're quite keen to offload it. Um, so now we've got a management, a, a, an ownership structure, um, which is, is pretty complicated. So that was reasonably complicated. This one is arguably more so. So effectively, we've uh, a holding company that Stefan Corby controls uh, called the Love Group uh, owns 52% of the capital um, in, uh, in, in the company, uh, the D'Agostini group uh, are, and, and another company called Fimilac are part of that whole group of shareholders, uh, along with an investment company owned by another French financier. So effectively, that group of shareholders have about 67% of the business with the French uh, media conglomerate Vivendi owning the other 33%. If we boil this down, John, effectively, Corby has tight control on, on what happens with the Banerjee Endemol group. Yeah, his his companies have got the majority shareholding in in the two entities. So LDH, the holding company, which uh, he has, which his love group has, as you said, fifty two percent of that holding company has sixty seven percent ownership of the of the combined entity Banerjee and and the Moshine Bandamol, as we we as the as the industry labelled it um, a couple of a few months back, and then Vivendi has a. a the rest of it yeah it's, it's a complicated structure it's gone from one complicated structure to another uh, you mentioned that um disney was unlikely or, or a source of yours said that disney was unlikely to see big brother as a brand or, or some of the animal shine brands as, as as a core part and we discussed you know earlier this year whether whether what what the massive attraction of animal shine was i remember like that when it was first mooted to sell that you know, we were talking things like four billion euro deals. You know, uh, I mean, it's it's not insignificant, two billion, uh, but you know, it was touted. I think it was five billion was the first time it was touted as the price. So that's come down. We wonder whether um, some of the labels or some of the brands within the group might need some, you know, some charging up. You know, some some kind of reinvigorating. I mean. <laughs> What's interesting to note is that before this took over, before this completed, um, Big Brother, which is a, it's quite, it's quite a, you know, a, it's a massive brand, but it has been, you know, it's gone off the UK screens. Um, it's had, it's had seven reboots in, uh, in uh, throughout the world. You know, it's come back to screens and is, 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 is also, you know, the big ticket news is it's heading back to Holland for the first, its spiritual home for the first time in, in over ten years. Um, so that brand, which I thought might need a little bit more invigoration, is, is has already been invigorating prior. So maybe now with the combined strength that you know the brands that they have that maybe need a little bit of TLC are, are actually in a strong position to 
really get that boost and and we we could see you know a, a Banerjee and Endemol kind of real real strength throughout the world with their properties on on linear channels platforms the world over it's 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 going to be interesting to see what what shows are made by whom in the future because you know quite a lot of them are surely going to have uh, a Banerjee Banerjee and Endemol fingerprint on it <laughs> I suppose that all kind of um, as a as a final point to to this deal. I mean, what, which we'll obviously be covering in much more detail as we move forward is the uh, kind of we've sort of touched upon who will be doing what within the group. And there's going to look. I think there'll be a lot of movement. Um, certainly mm. on that senior management level, and um, that kind of um, currently we've got Peter Langenberg running Banerjee UK and the Banerjee Group as as COO. Um, We've got the likes of uh, Richard Johnston and, and Lucinda Hicks uh, running the ESG side of things um, in the UK. So it be very interesting to see what the structure shakes out like there. Um, I've got no sort of clear intel on that at the moment, but it's one to keep an eye on. And then as we go through the layers, it'd be interesting to see how they decide to to kind of group the company and uh, and see who sort of rises to the top of what is a massive company with you know lots and lots of employees now, um, but we will see. But um, mm-hmm. there you go. That is uh, that's Banerjee uh, taking over Endemol Shine Group this morning. Um, I mean, following on from that, uh, what we were planning to talk about uh, this morning at uh, slightly more depth before the news broke, John, uh, was the um, situation around MIPCOM, which is an event mm. that both Banerjee and, and the Molshine Group are synonymous with. Um, do you want to take us through the latest developments there? And the, be the context being that lots of people are very concerned that the event, which is held in Cannes every year, cannot happen due to the coronavirus. Um, the organisers have sort of been very uh, stoic in the fact that they believe it will happen but what, what's the latest yeah so it was uh, you know uh, uh, Lorraine Garod from Reed Bedem um, you know the organizers of uh, the MIT markets she appeared on a uh, another podcast the telecast podcast yesterday uh, run by Boom PR's Justin Crosby and she kind of gave an update on what the plan was and she said it was it was all positive from Reed's side you know the the French government has confirmed that trade shows, major events will be officially validated, therefore allowed to take place starting from September the 1st. So that fits in with MIPCOM's, you know, general timeframe of October. Um, and that to kind of counteract the French government's ruling when at the start of the coronavirus pandemic, which banned public gatherings of, in the first instance, it was um, 5,000, but, it, you know, it, it started gradually shrinking to, I think, 100 people by the by the end. So, you know, there was no hope that um, TV was going to happen because uh, you get more 100 people just in organisers, let alone <laughs> and, and exhibitors and delegates. So it, it from Reed Medium's point of view, it's, it's great, great news. So that, that you know, a, a public gathering of over, over 5,000 people is allowed in the time frame that they have set up for for MIPCOM and um, obviously taking that harnessing that permission uh, we meet and have been working hard um, Guru said to to kind of come up with a plan that would allow for a really safe um, uh, COVID-19 compliant exhibition and, and conference and market and that includes you know they've they've they're they're having different entrance and exits. Um, they're regulating traffic and flow through the exhibition hall. Um, there'll be specially designed spaces in terms of the lounges and breakout 
places that, that, that exist in the Palais. Um, the conferences will be run at 50% capacity. That's something that they've already they've said. Um, they'll be disinfecting every session. Cleaners will come in and, and, and disinfect the conference halls after delegates. You know, any, any kind of queuing uh, will involve social distancing and, and they're, doing, they're ramping up their digital offering to kind of, I suppose, maximize the non-contact part of it so that the, the, the people do feel that they, they, they can attend safely. But of course, they are, they are um, acknowledging that this might not Cut be mustard for people. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think um, Reed are not anticipating having a few of their delegates, their regular delegates and, and buyers and distributors maybe not attending because of worries. I mean, this is all they, uh, Lorraine Garod mentioned, you know, that com- uh, countries still might have travel restrictions. So it, it, it can't, you know, be possible from, from the countryside, let alone from Reed's side. So I think they're well aware of that. And it's obviously going to be a slightly smaller event because people will still be worried about flying. Um, but from Reed's perspective, you know they've they've always maintained that they want to have the event, and they've now put in place measures to have a physical event with a digital offering as well. So what we've understood, John, uh, just from talking to people, mm. and this will be the big uh, issue for Read Medium and, and for the event is some of the bigger groups. Uh, we won't name who those groups are, but you know you you can sort of the usual suspects. We've certainly heard from people within those those companies really, you know showing extreme skepticism that the event can run and will be uh will be able to attract the sorts of buyers that those companies head to the market for uh and as such i think there's it's fair to say that there are a number of sort of very significant companies who either won't be at the event or are at least looking very uh intensely at the moment as to whether they will uh, will do so and that is for a number of reasons one it could pure on from the business side it's attracting buyers which is the reason why distributors go to these markets uh two is effectively the shutdown of of sort of group gathering events uh removes a huge part of the sort of networking side of attending a market like this which is people find very valuable and then three like you say it's, it's the practical things of will my country uh, allow me to travel um will i need to um when I need to quarantine, when I come back for two weeks, what's the value of that offset by the attending the market? So lots of all the distribution companies have uh, those questions to ask themselves about whether it's worth traveling to the market. Um, if it happens and it, and it goes ahead and it seems safe, I'm sure broadcast will be there to, uh, to, to report back on what it's like on the ground. Um, like everyone else, I'm sure we're just waiting to see what happens next. But as of right now, uh, Lorraine Garaud is, is saying that it's going ahead uh, and that it's all systems go and that the French government agree. So we will see. We are going to have a quick squiz into uh, your into your brain and what you've been watching this week. Um, what's what's been on the on the John Elms box? Uh, wow. You've you were having a, probably a three or four day party after Liverpool managed to uh, get over the line, get that title. Um, yeah, that was quite fun. Uh, I, I've I've been watching a lot of football. Um, that goes to goes without saying. Actually, um, just just by chance, the thing that I've been watching the most recently um, is football related. It's uh, an Amazon original. Um, Spanish language drama called El Presidente, which uh, focuses on the the Chilean head of football, 
um, um, uh, Hadaway is uh, his that's his surname, and um, it, it's it's about the FIFA Gate scandal, the the, the hundred and fifty million dollar uh, corruption scandal that emerged back in back in twenty fifteen, and it, I interviewed the um, the screenwriter Armando Bo, who um, won an Oscar for Birdman, and uh, it's his first foray to TV, and he's done a really good. It's a dramedy. It's 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 a it's a, you know it's got some serious aspects and it's a serious story, but it's it's very funny. And um, I mean, it's it's immensely enjoyable. Um, you know, I've, I've I've often enjoyed Spanish language and and foreign language dramas, but this this has got a is has got a com- comedic edge, and it's 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 really really entertaining. So I thoroughly recommend that. Um, is it better than that um, that Tim Roth um, FIFA film that came out a few years back, uh, where Tim Roth played uh, the notorious FIFA FIFA president or ex FIFA president, Seth Blatter, in one of the world's more weird uh, instances of casting um, where Hollywood gets it all wrong? Um, I'm, I'm assuming it's slightly better than that. It, it is. I mean, it's got some. It's got some some quite quite strong talent attached to it. I mean, Armando Bo is the writer, is and, and, and is is um, is obviously a testament to that. No, it, it is better. It is very good. It's got. It's it's a it's a very good concept. It's basically narrated by the um, the the late Argentinian president uh, Gondona, Julio Gondona, and he he narrates it from from wherever he's gone. Uh, to uh, it, it could be a heaven. It's an ethereal place, but he narrates it from above, and he looks down on the participants and the players of, of which he is one. And it's it, it's it's just got it's just a, I really like its shtick. Um, it's quite funny. It's obviously about you know a football event which which I've read about consistently. Um, and it's just a it's just really well made and very cinematically shot. It's got a very cinematic edge, so it it doesn't feel like a just your normal scripted drama. Um, so I thoroughly recommend it. Yeah. Cool. How about you, Jesse? What have you been watching? Um, so I'm still pushing through uh, all six seasons of Bosch, which is my my Amazon detective drama. Um, enjoying that. The I think the plot lines are getting increasingly uh, loose, and um, some of the liberties being taken are are getting quite. Uh, quite hard to to stick with but um, I'm still enjoying it um, but I, I'm like everyone else I've, I've been really enjoying uh, I May Destroy You I think it's an absolutely extraordinary piece of television um, Michaela Coles just smashed it out of the park somehow she's made what is really grim subject matter of you know date rape and and uh, an assault and um, victimization into something quite at times quite comedic and quite funny she's got that that tone that she's able to apply to really serious subject matter and make it accessible uh, in the sense of making you understand the 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 motivations of of what a victim might feel after um, after something awful happens and um, is is quite exceptional and there's also this really brilliant sort of film noir um, element to it where she's piecing together what's happened uh, to her um, and it's just a really really it's clever and uh, and really well put together and well acted uh, piece of uh, piece of television it's really beautifully shot as well um, there's a uh, an episode in in Italy which is um, which is really lovely to see really lovely to watch um, so yeah that's that's you know I'm not going to be the only person to say it's it's one of the best things you'll see this year but it is one of the best things you'll see this year um, and on that note, uh, that is it for this week's Broadcast News Wrap. So, John, thanks for joining me today, and uh, we'll see you again next week.
been an absolute pleasure, Jesse. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Broadcast News Wrap. Your continued support and feedback doesn't go unnoticed at Broadcast Towers. Please make sure to follow us on at Broadcast Now on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and check in to broadcastnow.co.uk for the latest breaking news and analysis, in-depth features, and cutting-edge comment. I'm Broadcast Insight Editor Jesse Whittock, and I've been speaking to Broadcast International Editor John Elms. You can find this episode and all previous episodes on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, or via our website. And don't forget to tune in next time for more news and analysis from the heart of Teleland.